From Central Source and the Fifth Element Podcast Network comes In Search of Source, a podcast celebrating the music journalists, saving music journalism from death by clickbait. My name is Ryan Gore, and it feels like ages since I've done that. It hasn't <laughs> been that long, has it? Anyway, uh, today... With me, as always, I have Brandon Hill. How's it going, guys? Uh, Brandon Hill, writer, editor with Central Sauce. Um, You should all check out the piece that I just published today as of the recording, so it is live when you guys are listening. Um, It is on Pink Floyd, Childish Gambino, and Flying Lotus, and how they have mastered the art of tension and relief in music. And I analyze a little bit about that and kind of what their music has to say about life through that rise and fall yeah um i can vouch that it's really good like it takes something that is quite difficult to explain in words which is essentially kind of a sensation while listening to something but you know it says it so well so yeah definitely check that one out and uh the other person joining me is making his central source, well, in search of source debut, a few days after making his central source debut. Right. And that is Mickey Hellebach. Hellebach? Yeah. No, no, you were you were right the first time. Don't Sick. don't ever doubt yourself, man. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm Mickey Hellebach. Uh, I'm an independent journalist. I was raised in Baltimore. I'm there now because of uh, the pandemic, but I'm usually based in Brooklyn. Um, I've put out two What We Like It pieces on Central Sauce so far that you all should check out. One, uh, a song called Oxytocin by Benjamin A.D., and the other one is uh, Codeine by Cedro to God. Um, also, I just released a piece on the other publication I write for called Euphoria Magazine. Uh, it's an in-depth interview with rapper Stally from Massillon, Ohio, um, but much more content to come for Central Sauce in the future. Awesome. That just made me realize that this is our first like post-pandemic podcast. So that's <laughs> oh, exciting. That's real. Yeah. Anyway, on today's show, uh, we have articles about rappers as countries. We have an article about Little Richard, rest in peace, and a video about uh, Kenny Beats' The Cave. So, Mickey, yes. do you want to take it away with your article? Who wrote it? What's the title? What's it about? where is it published yeah um so my article is uh titled if rappers were countries uh hip-hop and geopolitics and it's by zachary schwartz basically the 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 general concept of the article which i i found really intriguing from jump was uh the comparison of rappers to countries around the world um but using the lens of geopolitics which um (laughs) is not not too easy to uh explain for me i think it's better to to maybe just go to the article to to see zachary's uh in-depth explanation of of geopolitics when it gets down to the kind of nitty-gritty details um but the thing that that he did include um that really did help me was at the end of the intro before he started um, aligning rappers with countries as he um, explained geopolitics um, kind of like 
uh, a video game, and it's just kind of an exploration of how leaders are just trying to conquer land and influence in different countries. Um, another part that I, I found really interesting is he opens up uh, with a dissection of Americanism. Um, so I just wanted to read this quote. Uh, we Americans think our obsessions on race, class, and culture fit the world like a red slipper. Really sick. Uh, Wizard of Oz reference there. Forgetting that capitalism and communism are two sides of the same Western materialist framework. Um, I think, first of all, that's a, a really interesting take on Americanism. Um, very much aligns with my view of it. Um, but also kind kind of uh, does a really, really uh, specifically good job of setting up um, the context of the geopolitics that he used to ex uses to explain the the countries that he aligns with certain rappers so i wanted to get into kind of the 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 aspects of uh the article or the the rappers that uh with their countries that spoke to me specifically and then um i've asked my fellow co-hosts to uh pick um rappers in countries that weren't explained in the article and to talk about them but i think um i'll start with the ones that I found interesting, we can expound on that. And then at the end of talking about this article, go into our own rappers and countries. Um, the ones that were really interesting to me were um, the Drake and Pusha T ones, because he kind of um, used the explanation of their two countries, uh, kind of encapsulated around their beef itself. Um, so he kind of opened up with, with interesting things that I didn't realize even happened uh, with those countries or really groups of people so he has drake as russia which i think is initially it's a great way to start the article because it as the reader you're like what how the how the hell is drake russia but it's really because he he started out in within the context of hip-hop is this kind of vulnerable figure that didn't totally fit in but what he really did was just grow so big that he can't really be stopped even when he's vulnerable which is a really good comparison, I think, to how that beef played out with Pusha T, where Pusha T really hit him with a left hook. But at the end of the day, just a few months later, he did the song with the Shiggy dance. And then all of a sudden, it was like people forgot that the... Didn't totally forget, but he kind of faded into the background because his, sex, his, his success was so vast. Um, and then uh, Pusha T, he then compared to the Taliban, and then he showed... Uh, which was funny to me too. And he, he kind of talked about a little historical thing that I didn't realize, which was that um, the Taliban, uh, Russia tried to invade the Taliban and then got kicked or tried to like kind of infiltrate the Taliban and then got kicked out of Afghanistan and didn't go through with it. And it was because of, because um, Drake Drake initially, I mean, Pusha T kind of put out the, the little snippet on his, project but then drake was the one who did the full first diss diss song if we remember correctly with duppy freestyle yeah. and then Dino. yeah and that actually i still think that that's a really good diss but it just kind of got totally outweighed um but so then when drake as russia intrude uh intruded upon afghanistan where the taliban was residing pusha t used very similarly to the taliban guerrilla war tactics and went against what the normal rules uh, that Drake had tried to kind of set up for the diss 
uh, were, and then used guerrilla tactics to kick out the more powerful uh, enemy out of the battle itself. So I thought um, his his way of explaining that beef within those two countries specifically was um, really intelligent, and it sets up that that kind of comparison that he starts out with really sets up. Uh, or set up my own ability to think about how I was really going to compare rappers to countries of my own. Um, do you guys have any thoughts about ones that stuck out to you? Yeah, like overall, I thought it was really cool how we kind of um, more or less used links between countries to decide which rapper was which. Like, I think the relationship between America and Russia, America being Jay-Z and Drake mm-hmm. being Russia, is kind of genius i don't think he explicitly draws that line in the article but i was thinking about it and like my studies led me to read a lot about the space race and like (laughs) america and russia going for this one goal of being you know of this like worldwide global success i feel like jay-z and drake are kind of uh battling for supremacy as the poster person of rap in a way um, you know, almost undoubtedly it's those two right at the top, right? You could probably throw an Eminem, but really in terms of success, it's M- it's the Drake and Jay-Z have just uh, completely own the genre in a way. But also wanted to piggyback off something you said about um, the way he does it start the article, what Zachary does. When he breaks down geopolitics, I think it's, it's such a talent to be able to break down something that you don't really get in a lot of musical music journalism articles. But the way he kind of explains it, as you said, with the video game analogy, kind of just uh, brings it into the world of the reader and makes the article, I guess, easier to digest. Because, you know, at the start of the article, it's like, kind of daunt- daunting, like, I don't know, I don't know if I know if know enough about geopolitics to uh, read this article but the way he breaks it down and almost as if he uses these rappers to just talk about the histories of these countries is kind of genius and I really enjoyed that aspect because on the surface this article is not anything like that Uh, if you want to like from what I was making notes for the piece to say here the only note I made on the article it's a very professional one it says Sounds like a BuzzFeed article, comma. Goes into <laughs> fucking geopolitics, question mark. And that's like <laughs> the entire um, thought process going into this is like, oh, that is a veil. And this this uh, article is actually really intelligent. Right. So yeah, uh, I'll throw it to I, Yeah, well, I had very much, like that was going to be my first comment too, is that I, like going into the concept of the article, you know, like six rappers as countries, I was like, I, like you know, I wasn't too sure about the concept initially, but the author stole me with the lead. Like the whole the whole introduction to the piece, you know. So I'm thinking like, okay, so rappers as countries, you know, going through the lens of <clears throat> geopolitics. Either you know, I, I initially thought like, oh, that's kind of a shallow way to poke fun at like, oh, ha 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 ha. This like this rapper is the United States, ha ha. But he it, it goes beyond, you know, just making a joke and like pointing to 
something that's like funny or comical and he really like analyzes the the geopolitics of you know of each country that he's applying to these rappers so it's not just like a you know a cheap jab that he's throwing in there like he very much convinced me through the intro and then throughout the rest of the article that you know like this author is he's knowledgeable on the subject of geopolitics which i think for this article in particular is even more important than the author's knowledge on hip hop cuz if you if you lose out on you know just like half baked like geopolitical references then like you know not only is it you know you do lose some of the great like thematic ties but you also lose a lot of like you know my trust as a reader if i'm like you know, and some of just some of the genuineness of the comparisons. But because the author did such a good job of convincing me that, like, he's knowledgeable on the geopolitics, it was much easier for me to follow through on his comparisons to figures in hip hop. Uh, and specifically, like, when you talk about, you know, which one of these comparisons, like, jumped out to me uh, as super cool or super unique, I think of a specific sentence in his section where he compared England and Lil Wayne. Uh, which was towards the end of the section where he says, Lil Wayne is a former superpower whose influence outlives his time on top. Both he and Great Britain conquered the world, then gave up those ambitions. Yet the world is still an imitation of them. And, you know, so first, like, you know, I've got my own opinions on Lil Wayne, you know, like uh, feelings that I've just established through years of knowing Lil Wayne. And he put that into a way where I then like, you know, connected thoughts and feelings I already had on Lil Wayne to his apt political analysis of, you know, like Great Britain. And I read that and I was like, oh shit, yeah, Lil Wayne is the Great Britain of hip hop. Like that, which, you know, that's the whole goal of the piece is to get you to have that click and that thought. And, you know, going into this piece conceptually, I didn't really see myself having that click or having that thought. Um, and so, you know, the fact that I did is just attributed to how well the author did at writing the piece and just how knowledgeable he is on his own subject. Yo, I think um, <laughs> that that was a good thing to end on because I think that's a good transition into my rappers uh, as countries that I came up with, uh, funny enough. Um, I, but just really quickly before that, just to go kind of go back to what Ryan was saying a little bit about the kind of the transition from the geopolitical explanation into the video game thing. My actual experience of reading the article is I went into the geopolitical stuff and I was like, uh, I just don't like, this is a really cool analysis, but I just don't know how to exactly like process all of this geopolitical, like my brain's not connecting all of the dots. And then when he made the video game reference, I immediately went back and reread the geopolitical explanation and it automatically made more sense to me, which I think is like, if he wasn't doing that consciously, it just really was a very smart way to intro the article. So it just made it accessible for any person, whether or not they have uh, an understanding of geopolitical geopolitics themselves. Um, but it's good that you said the, uh, the thing about little Lil Wayne being England, because my, uh, my first rapper country and Ryan, uh, will laugh at this one because of, a. a conversation that we had at one point that we will not get into because it's embarrassing for me <laughs> but uh my first rapper as country is i have taiga as ireland so okay. uh if that only really works if lil wayne is england so he was under 
England and people could argue that Ireland never got like as I mean as wide reaching cultural prominence as England does historically, but they do have their own to a certain level. Um, but then obviously Ireland got their independence from England, um, and within Tyga's independence is when he has really come into his own and been able to to shine from Rack City on. I believe he was he was a I mean he wasn't an independent artist ever, but. He was independent from his former ruler, if you will, um, being under or signed to a rapper. I believe Rack City on he was he was no longer a part of um, Young Money. Am I wrong in that? Do you guys know? I have no clue. Not, not off right. top, I don't. Yeah, but on some level, he still even when separating from the the person who like helped him become relevant and brought him up in the game. He's still just kind of always stuck around and been within our music conscious. And every like year and a half to two years, he'll come out with a song that kind of floods radio and you still hear about him. So I think I think um, I was thinking about just like all the young money people who could be Ireland specifically because of the England versus Ireland relationship. And it's weirdly it, I mean, it's just wild how much Tyga really fits into that mold, I think. Um, is, the there, second, is there animosity between Lil Wayne and Tyga? Um, huh, I guess that, I don't think so. There was a, well, there was that okay. period of like, I wonder how we could tie this in if, if we take Drake out yeah. of Russia first, right? Because there was obviously the beef really for a little bit was Tyga versus Drake and Drake did 6 p.m. in New York kind of about True. that and did like a little like Kylie Jenner jab. Um, but, uh, if we take Drake out of being Russia and we put him in some version of under... I think while the the, the Drake Tyga thing was happening, he was still signed to Young Money. That makes it make sense more. I don't know. Okay, it's something. It's something. <laughs> we'll buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then so my second one is I had uh, Kendrick Lamar as South Korea. So uh, Korea as a whole obviously is divided into two parts by a civil war and South Korea to me would be the good kid of the mad city of the entirety <laughs> of Korea as a whole. Um, South Korea always kind of gets looped into North Korea's antics, but uh, even, even though they try to keep the peace, it's still hard to avoid is what I had for Kendrick That's quite South tight. Korea. Like two sides of that coin kind of being drawn in by the mad city. Right, exactly, exactly. That's cool. I, I didn't go to, I, I don't know if I know too much about South yeah, Korea yeah, yeah. versus North Korea politics, but I that was the second one that, well, the, the Taiga Ireland was the hardest to come up with, funny enough, um, but that was the, that one came to me pretty immediately, but my, my last one was actually the first one that came to me, um, and I'm glad we mentioned at least uh, for a second the jay-z being america because this this is my favorite that i came up with i think um and it was the most immediate is i have uh macklemore as canada and uh i i have macklemore as canada if jay-z nice is say it again the nice guy because he's the nice guy because he's because he's the nice well i think it, it starts at the initial reasoning um is if Jay-Z is the U.S. and represents, as he says in the article, that kind of Jay-Z is the representation of hip-hop as a whole, it's that kind of there's there's some level of a relationship where culturally, though not, I mean, this is kind of shifting, Canada has, has tried to get in on the cultural aspect of America. I mean, even literally with Drake at the beginning of his career trying to 
get into that. Um, and Macklemore has always kind of and always will be on the outside of the core of the, the culture of hip hop. But he always makes these little tactical moves to try to find his way in. Like in that album after the first one that blew him up, he tried to do he did that one song with all of the like originators of hip hop from the Bronx. And he tried to like legitimize himself through that. And it didn't totally work. <laughs> because he didn't really ever finagle his way. And I think at a certain point he kind of gave up, which was, I think, more of the better move. But the big thing that um, made me think of the comparison is not just that he's polite, but that he's, like, polite even to a fault at times. And the example that I, I thought of right away is when yeah. he won one Best Rap album and he tweeted that he picture of the text that he sent to Kendrick <laughs> saying that he that the, that he stole the best rap album from him and it wasn't fair and then everyone was like why did you send that dude there was no need to be that the intention was like self-involved and not really the right yeah. kind of politeness anyway which is i think a quality that we all associate with canadian <laughs> that was weird it was super very weird very deep on that analysis i think yeah. i think uh kendrick's silence on the matter spoke volumes for sure. I don't think anyone's thought about Macklemore so much in years, so you're a trailblazer, a trailblazer in that sense. Right, right. Uh, for me, I decided, like, I didn't know enough about geopolitics, like, specifically the geo part, um, but as an Indian, like a British Indian guy, I thought I should stick to those two countries because I actually know a bit about them, you know. If I, I wouldn't feel comfortable, like, naming Sudan as something or something. I don't know, like, I don't know enough about what's going on there, so. I need I'll you to, to I need you to take a jab at Great Britain before I do, because you're, oh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're the British one here, so you gotta, you gotta do it first. Go ahead. Specifically, I'm the Indian British one, so mm-hmm. I can, I'm ready for this, so. Uh, my England pick was Tyler the Creator slash any rapper with a rebrand so people don't talk in england don't talk about how england went around the world and committed genocides so and i'm likening that to how tyler just kind of moved past the early part of his career where he was a bit wild and doing crazy shit so (laughs) that's how tyler is likened to england not that he doesn't talk about it anymore but he'd really rather that people didn't and that people see him as he is now and it's kind of the same in England like people kind of uh pretend that what they did back then has an influence on right now and kind of in the same vein for India I chose any rising rapper whose uh, ideas were stolen by a bigger artist because <laughs> <laughs> India was, like, well on its way to being one of the biggest powerhouses in uh, the world, but was kind of broken down by the colonisation by England and just basically stealing all its resources. So, you know, uh, it almost happened to Dram. The best I could come up with, like, on the spot was Dram because Drake stole that Cha-Cha song. Right, that's the first thing I thought of, too, when you said that. Yeah, yeah, so anything like that, even though Dram isn't technically a rapper, but whatever. But yeah, that's my pick. Those are my picks. Thoughts, comments, concerns. <laughs> no concerns. No concerns for sure. Great. 
I think, oh, God, I feel like there's a, there's other good examples that could be India based on your description. Yeah, that's what I was yeah. trying to, I was trying to guess like what you were going to say before you said like specific artists, like based on yeah, that criteria, yeah, yeah. which I think that's a strong <laughs> criteria if you're, you know, if you're making that comparison to India. Oh, so, I think it's got to be Migos. Like the yeah, whole world guess, stole yeah. <laughs> every major, you know what I mean? In a way, but Migos is still massively successful. Right. Right. Oh, so it has to be an artist that didn't like that literally came up with something and then just didn't garner success. And I guess by definition, we wouldn't know about them. Right. (laughs) But yeah, they exist. I'm sure. I'm convinced. Right. Quentin Miller, maybe. Oh yeah. Oh, actually, that's. Yeah, but he never. Hmm. Never took off. I guess he wittingly gave stuff to Drake. I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't. Sure it it exists, wasn't though. a. Yeah, it wasn't like Drake. Yeah, took it from him. It was like Drake paid him to collaborate. Yeah, Quentin Miller yeah. just dropped a project actually that I just listened Did to. He? There's like a. There's this one really good song on it too. Shouts Quentin Miller, man. I honestly, I don't know if you, what you guys. I if you're reading this is forever and will unless something happens after now is my forever favorite Drake project. Um. But he, Quentin Miller, dropped a tape called uh, uh, Nah For Real. And there's a song on it called Stuck Up, which uses a flow that's very uh, easy to compare to a couple of things that are on If You're Reading This, and it kind of hits. I'll have to check that out. All right. So I'm going to try to move through these a little quick because we've been on Rappers as Countries for a minute now. So I got... Eminem as Great Britain because he's old and pissed off that no one thinks he's as good as he was when he was doing <laughs> fucked up shit. And I just like I imagine like a bunch of like angry dudes like yelling on Twitter to get back on imperialism. Like you were better when you were on imperialism or some shit like that. That's so good. And, and then I thought this this see this one I thought this one, like the first one was just kind of a like a haha jab like I was saying that I appreciated that the author didn't do. His, his was actually like very <laughs> apt analysis, but I'm just taking a jab here because I'm not right. as geopolitically involved as the author was, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the second one might be a little a little more deep than just a funny. Um, and I thought, uh, so I thought Japan m- maybe as MF Doom because Japan uh, in the beginning was like super isolationist, you know, kind of like how MF Doom was like a very underground artist. Um, but then, you know, as time went on, Japanese culture started to influence like a lot of shit around the world. So, like, you know, if you think of like anime, um, I feel bad that that's the only one I can come up with on the top of my head, but <laughs> no, I know no, there's no, others, but yeah. basically, so, you know, they went from being super isolationist to having, uh, a lot of streetwear styles came out of Japan, originated in Japan. Yeah. Um, on a food, on a culinary level too yeah sure. oh yeah yeah sushi oh, yeah, that's like, an easy comparison sushi comparison. is japanese but i mean and, that's and, even almost mainstream ramen, now everywhere else ramen. yeah so sort of in the same way you know mf doom was underground and now he's it's it's still weird it's weird that he's considered an underground artist but he's like everyone's favorite underground artist you know <laughs> he's the one that everyone's like oh yeah like i like mf doom yeah you know pretty intense right. <laughs> hip-hop but it's like everyone knows who mf doom is so just kind of in that comparison of like going from you know underground or isolationist to being a major role a major like cultural influence um 
I don't know. I thought that that comparison was a little a little deeper. So yeah, that's, that's actually what, what that's like. what I got. It sounded like you're call, you're calling Japan hipster. <laughs> Almost, you know. Is it is it really a hipster though? If everyone is in on it, like <laughs> that's the thing. People who are in on it think they're hipster by liking it, but they're not really hipster. By exactly. Right. So shout out to Zachary. Uh, the article is amazing. That's on DJ Booth. Go check it out. second piece is one Brandon brought from his old reliable Rolling Stone. Yeah, big big surprises from Rolling Stone. Uh, so, the article's titled, I Majored in Mouth, How Little Richard Invented the Rockstar by Rob Sheffield. So, oh, let me flip my page of notes. So, I see, you know, little Richard who passed away uh, recently. I see, you know, his name always comes up in mentions and conversations about great rock acts but i felt like it is it's always comes up as as an aside you know like in in these twitter threads like people are mentioning all these great rock acts and then little richard doesn't come up until someone has to mention like i can't believe y'all left out little richard or something you know something along those lines he's never like the first name that gets brought up as like the definitive like this is the great rock act he's always an aside um, and, you know, so it's so it's a name I know from those conversations. And like, yes, like I'm definitely familiar, you know, with some of his songs and a lot of his stuff. Um, but so as I was reading this article and going into, you know, having this discussion about Little Richard, I was going back over some of the music and I found myself thinking, um, you know, I was like listening to the music and I was like, damn, this really does sound like the Beatles. But. What I got out of this article is, you know, working to change that language, you know, change that thought from, wow, Little Richard really does sound like the Beatles. Why is that thought instead not, damn, the Beatles really sound like Little Richard? Because what I think this this article did a great job of diving into is all those names that come up first as the great rock acts, like almost every single one of them, like their influence on their sound like their influence on their, you know, their personalities, some of their stage presence, like that shit is Little Richard. So, uh, you know, what what this article did really well for me was give me concrete examples, like well-written, historical, like asides of how Little Richard is not the aftermentioned, like all-star rock act. Little Richard is the rock act. Um, so it, 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 the best thing this article did for me was make me intentionally, like going forward, try to change my language, uh, you know, when I'm talking about great rock acts and stuff like Little Richard, you know, and it's just the small things like changing, um, wow, Little Richard sounds a lot like the Beatles, changing that language to, oh, the Beatles sound like Little Richard. It's just the small things, but I think that that's what this article really drove home for me on a topic that was something that it's like, you know, I've I've been aware of it, but not aware of it or knowledgeable of it, of it to the extent where, you know, like, you know, I can make those definitive statements that things, you know, it should be much more obvious and Little Richard should be much more apparent in those conversations. Like, there, there is absolutely no doubt. The... Uh, just to name a few, 
like the article dives into the specific examples of how Little Richard, with direct anecdotes from the artists themselves, how Little Richard influenced David Bowie, the Beatles, so Paul McCartney and John Lennon, Bob Dylan, Creedence Clearwater Revival, Prince, Led Zeppelin. And then one thing I thought was astonishing was that Jimi Hendrix, before he was Jimi Hendrix, was part of Little Richard's band, was a guitarist with Little Richard. And so there's like all these examples just really when when you get knowledge about it, when you get this kind of information and it's not just a name that you you absorb through osmosis or just from passive listening or like, oh, like that goofy song from the 50s. Like, yeah, I, I know that song. That's a great song. But like actually consciously stopping and recognizing that that was the blueprint for like the greatest rock acts of all time and not just a couple of them or a few outliers like that was the literally the blueprint for rock and roll um so you know what are your guys thoughts on the article how much did you guys know about little richard going into this or yeah i think that this article without really saying it uh kind of condemns a tradition in music in life in general but specifically rock and roll which is crediting the poc or the black people who originated the art form really and recognizing them as the um like the not necessarily the creators i guess the creators but really the trailblazers in the industry because as you say when you talk about when people tend to talk about the great rock acts little richard isn't really brought up and that kind and this article kind of explicitly uh draws lines between as you said all the artists that you mentioned with Little Richard in the center, with all these branches going off to the people he inspired. And um, I lost my point a bit. Yeah, it's just about kind of recognizing the artists, especially in rock, who originated it, weren't white. For a genre that is now dominated a lot by white people, people, I think that that kind of gets lost. So I think this article does a very important job there. And I think... I think something that's like super interesting about that conversation that I also got from this article uh, was, it, you know, it seemed like in most cases it's not – so like the Beatles, you know, they're white and they – a lot of their inspiration comes from Little Richard. But mm-hmm. they very much owned the fact that Little Richard was that inspiration. Like they played covers yeah. of his songs. Like they played his stuff in the recording booth where where Little Richard gets written out of that is in the media coverage and in the conversations and stuff like that. It's not like these artists who are borrowing from little Richard more times than not, like they are shouting him out like majorly. So, you know, it's interesting to me that that gets lost more in the media and in the conversation than what it does by the artists. Like, you know, of course there are examples of artists who are going to, you know, music from people of color and they are, directly like taking things and not crediting it but that's a whole nother conversation um but you know seemingly in this case a lot of these rock acts at least you know the first phase they very much borrowed from him with credit so it's even more astounding that like he has been written out as that aside to rock music yeah um it may the article made me think uh go back to thinking about um how we are taught or learn history generally um, 
Amer- American history. Um, and the two ways are either in school, which <laughs> a lot of it can um, come down to... Which then you, you'll hear a new piece of information, you'll go back to how you were taught it in school, and you're like, why was I taught that this was the reason that this happened when it has nothing to do with it? And then it's also from word of mouth of people who you look up to who think that they have some level of a grasp of history itself, too. And I think the media observation is huge with it. Um, and uh, what the article does really well is it, it, it does all of the stuff that you mentioned where it shows really how wide Little Richard's influence is and um, how he should be mentioned in more conversations and then follows that up by um, talking about how he was viewed and even uses some of the quotes that the media almost used against him. But it's, it's smart, very smart of the, the journalist to start out with all of the examples of his actual influence that went un, unrecognized in the, the general um, understanding of who he is as a person. And I thought about what I knew about Little Richard, and it was like a few things. Um, but one big thing that I always remember hearing about him was like how he would he would say and do things that seemed somewhat obnoxious. And that was kind of the, the word of mouth that was spread about him through the media coverage of him for his entire career. Um, and then with the context of all of those those people that he influenced, you realize that it would be impossible for any human to not want to scream about the level of influence that they had in the way that he did unabashedly uh, based on the way that the the media treated him and then how history has represented him. So I think um, those quotes were really important to add at the end of like the, the even sectioning out the things that like him uh, going up at the award show um, and and saying what he did. Uh, I forget exact <laughs> details of it, but it was like in within the he, context of the article, it was like, oh, no shit. He wanted to say that on the stage and wouldn't be kicked off until they made him leave. Because mm-hmm. think, I mean, specifically, some of those songs are just like, holy shit. Like the Led Zeppelin rock and roll one is nuts. That is like the, still to this day, probably of their probably i think to the normal person the most recognizable song of arguably the greatest rock band in people's perception of all time yeah so for those of you uh listening who have not yet read the article um so little richard even originated the i'ma let you finish speech (laughs) except (laughs) in this in this particular case he had no intentions of ever letting them finish he he was announcing uh was it best new artist Best new artist or something. Yeah, they, 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 he was so. announcing that, and he he went on with his own speech about why he deserved the reward, and was never going to announce who the best new artist was. So I mean, even even the like the thing like Kanye is famous for, like Little Richard did it first, and he did it bigger. Right. Uh, and I, I think <laughs> and that goes, no yeah, that just goes, you know, goes for saying for just a lot of how him as a personality and as a cultural icon impacted the people who then impacted the people who are in pop culture today 
Uh, I have another example of that that I definitely wanted to discuss. Um, so I think it's safe to say of my favorite songs of the past five years or so still remains to be Redbone by Childish Gambino. Solid uh, pick. And I, when I really look back on the one that really sticks with me at the end of the day, that really is definitely up there. And uh, I feel like I always attributed the um, the influence vocally on that song to James Brown. Uh, just j- the way that he delivers it to that specific sound. But then when Lucille was mentioned, it became one of the two really Little Richard songs that I can like know in the back of my mind along with Tutti Frutti. And when I think of how he did the like, high-pitched Lucille thing I really think that I wonder if Childish Gambino has talked about Little Richard being influential on that song because he's all the way through it yeah that would be not surprising for sure yeah yeah but that's I think a stark example of how on some level Little Richard has influenced sounds of music that are very current for sure, and um, backtracking to what a few guys, a few of you guys, there, few things you guys said about um, some of the quotes in the article, I think the way that Rob used the quotes to kind of detail his story was, uh, well, it's kind of obvious in one way, like who better to tell his story than Little Richard himself, but the way he picked the quotes and the way he placed them speaks to his skill as a writer. Uh, near the start of the article. There's a quote, which I love. Um, And it just kind of, like, tells you what the mind state of a trailblazer is. You know, if someone was thinking this now, and if someone said this sentence to me now, I'd be like, okay, this person is going to be the biggest artist in the world in a year. So the quote is, I knew there was something that could be louder than that, but I didn't know where to find it, and I found it was me. Like, ah, oh, it's yeah. it just gave me goosebumps on reading. It was like, I know, someone who just understands their place, understands their role. Okay. It was like, oh, I've imagined something bigger than this. Why isn't anyone doing it? Oh, I realized that I'm the one who has to originate this. Like, it has it has to be me, and that's and I think. We talked about earlier how it was the artist that would always recognise, oh yeah, I, I was influenced by Little Richard. It was less the media, but more the artist saying that. And I think other artists really understand that mindset that he had and how special that is, that he was able to come out and say, I found it was me. I was the missing link. And I think that spoke to artists on a fundamental level. And it's not something the media was able to really grasp. So yeah, I think that picking out that quote was genius. And I realised that a few of these quotes were like to Rolling Stone. So that's also a testament to how Rolling Stone have just been reporting so well over the years. And it kind of culminating in this really awesome, really great article from Rob. Yeah, so I mean, we've, we've talked a lot about just Little Richard in general, but um, <clears throat> just to make sure, you know, again, touching on the things that like specifically the journalist did well in this article um, is, you know, like the things that you guys have said about how you know, using Little Richard's own quotes to tell his story, like in a way that's, you know, a different angle than, you know, how it might have been looked at 
in the past, um, it's, you know, it's, it adds to the retrospect. Um, you know, you hate to say like that something wasn't appreciated as much until it was gone, but you know, in a lot of these cases, we see that with a lot of these artists. So it's great that going back, you know, Rolling Stone has done proper coverage throughout the time. Uh, someone else actually that this article made me think of uh, that I think did a fantastic job of this was there is a DJ Booth article about um, how someone, I'm going to look up the author's name right now. Uh, someone went back and listened to all of Nipsey Hussle's music. And the tone of the article was basically like, you know, people will talk down on the fact that like, if you've become a fan after someone's death, but that that's not, you know, that's not how any artist like would have wanted something to be viewed. Wait, so wait, their, their thought was, explain it one more time. Wait, hold up. It isn't, okay, so the article is, it isn't too late to become a Nipsey Hussle fan. Okay. Uh, by Louise Pavlakos. So basically he was in a position where like he wasn't um, super conscious of Nipsey Hussle's legacy while he was alive, but that after he passed, he went back and made all these, you know, great connections to Nipsey Hussle through his grandfather who had also that see that was the good comparison. Yeah, he made the so he made the comparisons to getting familiar with an artist after their death. Um, in a familiar way that he did with his grandfather. So he didn't know his grandfather very or extraordinarily well. And then after his grandfather passed away, um, you know, through the stories and through digging into the history, you know, he learned a lot about like what made his grandfather like a great person. And, you know, how much of that would you miss out on if you don't have people doing these deep dives and going into you know, how after, like after an artist's death, even how that they had this kind of an impact and had this kind of an influence. Like, th- like so this article on Little Richard, what it, like I said, what it changed for me was really making me more conscious about like that definitive language about Little Richard and, you know, how I'll, re- I'll be referring to Little Richard in the future in the context of like great rock acts and everything like that. Um, so, you know, you don't get a lot of that context unless you actively are, like, going back and looking for it. So even though, you know, Little Richard has passed, that, you know, that's no reason to not acknowledge his contributions in generations going forward, especially who've never, you know, they're not going to have the opportunity. And, heck, I mean, I didn't even myself, like, grow up with Little Richard's music. So that means the only way to go back and get some of that context and get some of that feeling and power of what he did is through retrospect. So that, uh, you know, that DJ Booth article, it it was good enough that I would have brought it for like a podcast of its own. Uh, But, you know, we do DJ Booth all the time. We had one in this podcast specifically. And, you know, just bringing that up as a great connection to this Rolling Stone article that was our focus. That makes me think about kind of one of the big pieces of Nipsey Hussle's legacy, which was uh, him preaching and actually owning, preaching about and actually owning his masters. So people who did discover him after his death, when they listened to his music, all of the money went to his family. And I makes me wonder what the, 
I mean, specifically with what the music industry was when Little Richard came out and for his entire career, where the money is going for the people who are now reading articles like this Rolling Stone one um, and listening to his music, wondering where the money is going to go. I hope it's to someone who isn't very much uh, involved within his life and that someone at the record company who probably owns the masters does the right thing with it. Yeah. Yeah. Just hope it gets a second life and is morally supportable, I guess. Alright, so that was uh, Rob Sheffield's article for Rolling Stone about Little Richard. Uh, Rest in peace, Little Richard. Uh, Your influence is felt forever. Okay. So the final uh, piece we have today, not an article, it's a video from Alpha Media on YouTube and it's called Why Hip Hop Needs The Cave. So The Cave is a YouTube series by producer Kenny Beats, uh, just in case you didn't know about it somehow and you listen to this podcast, but um, <laughs> uh, The Cave basically is Kenny Beats getting an artist into a studio, making a beat for them and then freestyling over it. And it is amazing. I think everyone here agrees that it's one of the most brilliant series on YouTube. So uh, Alpha Media breaks down the cave in order to um, highlight its its significance in the hip-hop landscape today. Because you don't really get a lot of stuff like this. Um, Especially not like before everyone jumped on Instagram Live to show whatever they were doing just to keep their name in the news. But um, So The Cave kind of captured something that we'll get into as a video, as we talk about videos progression. So uh, what the video first does, it basically explains the concept of The Cave and then it gives context to who Kenny Beats is and kind of gives his um, kind of little biography on him. And that's all done before about the five minute mark maybe which is really impressive to me and it's important to me because uh, a huge part of journalism is providing context and giving the um, reader or viewer information. And I feel like before the video even got to its main point, I was learning things about Kenny and about, I think about the show too. Um, So he'll give that context and he'll, He'll give kind of a breakdown of what the show is and give this formula that the um, shows tend to follow. And um, that kind of makes it easy to highlight what makes it great, which he decides at the end is the authenticity of it. So I think most people who follow rap nowadays will understand how um, executive driven it is and that a lot of decisions that artists make aren't really their decisions, but are things told that they are told to do by their uh, managers or whoever that will make them more favourable in the public eye. Absolutely. What, yeah, what Alpha Media um, kind of claims is that the cave is something that's kind of pure of that kind of control, and it's just artists getting together with their friends and making music because they love it and that authenticity really shines through 
a lot of times when you see artists kind of force personalities it's grating and it's very noticeable but the artists in the cave it just seems so natural and it flows so beautiful and you can tell that the environment that Kenny has created with the cave is so unique to anything that hip-hop has right now um so yeah I feel like I've been talking for ages uh Mickey what do you think of it because I know you're a massive fan of the cave yeah I'm a big fan of the cave um I think uh well I'll start with um my favorite part of the the video uh to shout out the journalist who made it and then I'll go into uh what I like about the cave and what I like about Kenny Beats um I just I think he did a really good job of explaining how organically the the cave was created and I, I really like the initial analysis of like the the first JPEG Mafia episode how they were just kind of figuring it out in the moment and um, going back to what you said about uh, artists being able to just kind of do cool shit on their own rather than being under some kind of like label formula and, and the cave really becoming kind of enticing and, uh, and relatable to the, the people who watch it because he was, Kenny was figuring it out on the spot and going solely organically from a cool part of how he does his process that he thought maybe other people might like too. It's always cool when art can feel that way, and uh, it was really, it was really great how the the journalist broke down how how, how Kenny made made the cave um, just a, a relatable video vlog to cast out um, his process. Um, the thing that I really admire about Kenny Beats specifically is the way in which he re-entered um, into hip-hop and got into uh, many people's music consciousness um, was by doing, of my favorite tapes slash albums uh, in the past couple years is 777 with Key, K-E-Y with the exclamation point. Um, and he, he produced the entire thing with Key and he always still to this day will shout out Key as his favorite rapper on Twitter. Um, but he Key is someone um, who I was, funny enough, because we were talking about how, you know, you, you find out about someone later than you maybe should. Um, I found out about Key. I had heard little things with Key, but I didn't really get into and go into his discography until hearing that project. Um, I had heard him feature on this one Rory song that I'm not going to remember the name of that I really liked. Tears in the Trap. Um, but uh, it was just really cool that the, that also kind of parallels the way the cave happened in this kind of totally organic fashion. Uh, and it kind of shows how great Kenny Beats is because he really just attacks everything that way. And he, he lets things happen within his music career trajectory and just the way that feels right. Um, he was some, is someone who's very influential in modern day mumble rap, though someone who listens to him wouldn't necessarily call him such. Um, he's very freestyle based and his style is a huge part of what brought up that version of that sound in Atlanta. He's an Atlanta native and he deserves way more of a shout out kind of funny enough. Uh, similarly, 
though i mean obviously there's a difference but there's a little richard-esque kind of aspect to key that uh, i think kenny beats specifically did a great job of highlighting in that tape and i i saw him with a full live band do a lot of those songs at sobs in new york and it was amazing he had such a nice it was if not sold out pretty close to it it was a, a jam-packed show in there and it was cool to see key get the recognition he deserved um and then last thing before i pass it off um i just wanted to talk specifically i, I told ryan i want to talk about this before about my my personal favorite episode of the cave um because i think it's slightly different from all of the other ones and really highlights uh such a cool part about a great artist so what the 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 journalist did who created the videos he talked specifically about how um kenny beats brings himself to other people's worlds which was really cool but the one episode where i think the opposite happens in a really cool way is with black or six lack who as people (laughs) incorrectly call him um but black is um he would be known as like a moderate if you don't if you're not familiar with his music like a more modern day kind of alternative trap r&b artist um he has a six in his name because he's from zone six in atlanta where gucci Mane's from um but he actually a lot of people don't know this about him started out as a battle rapper and there's this really old video of him kind of battle rapping young thug in the middle of atlanta somewhere which is a really wild thing it popped up on the internet um a little while ago um but he asks Kenny for like a, a way more hip hop hip hop style beat, and Kenny, even in the middle of making the beat as they're going back and forth, is like, uh, "I think a lot of people watching this are gonna be wowed that you can actually go in over like a French Montana beat that I just made made you." And I don't know if that's totally accurate, but it's a very like um, reminiscent of a, a, a like one of a mix of like a, a key beat and one of the beats that Kenny Beats would make for like a Denzel Curry. And then Black also talks about how he totally freestyles everything very Lil Wayne-esque and that he hasn't written a thing down since, I don't know, he said like 2014 or something. And Black delivers over that like that style of beat, which is way more him going into what you would view as Kenny's world of maybe the single best verse um, that any single rapper has put down on the entirety of the show. Um, so it was really cool that episode specifically to see the, um, an artist come in and do the opposite is almost like a, an ode to Kenny himself because he does such a good job of navigating different people's styles of sounds. It was cool to see an artist go in and go more into his world and then maybe even make the best piece of music that exists on the whole show. Yeah. And it's explicit that Kenny's philosophy is collaboration and that his process is a, always a collaborative one in a sense that he and the art he and the vocalist feed off each other and the video does an, does an excellent job of setting that up in the context for kenny beats in the um in the little bio he gives for kenny he talks about the distinction between a beat maker and a producer and he says kenny is definitely a producer because how of how he relies on the collaborative process that was a great and, distinction. Uh, that was a yeah, great distinction they made in the video. It's really important because a lot of videos may just pad out the runtime with some context like this is what this is and this is what this is and not really make the link. But that link was so integral to his eventual point of authenticity, which is 
kind of the kind of the outcome of real collaboration it's two artists making something uh that isn't isn't because a label exec said oh you make a beat for him that's beat making producing a beat means get them in the studio together get them a rapport and make something that they both love yeah it's producing a song it's not just producing a beat there yeah he produces the song together exactly exactly yeah so yeah any more thoughts on that brand actually yeah um I mean the video the video was fantastic uh especially at you know delivering its core message which is the authenticity of the cave and how you know showing that process is is important to hip hop as a whole uh so that we get you know less of that that's just you know man, like manufactured sound and just like hit factory type feeling and more of just that genuine authenticity and what I think it highlighted that really well by going to the first episode with JPEG Mafia and then showing like the evolution of the show, how it went from that first episode. And you can you can tangibly see through the process of the video how like the you know the phases of the cave got more locked in, they got more solidified, you know, the length got longer when he knew, you know, what type of content he was producing. But if you go back to the roots of that video with JPEG Mafia, the first episode, you know, they didn't really know what they were doing. They didn't have a tangible idea of like, here's our show, here's the cave, we're going to break this down, we're going to show people this, we're going to run a segment where we talk about this, we'll do this, and then here's our end result. You know, the concept of the cave started with in that first episode, like, yo, just come to the studio, let's just mess around, make a song, and we're going to record it. And then from that, they developed, you know, the more structured thing that is now the cave. Um, so I think for me personally, like having watched like a bunch of episodes of the cave and what it is now, like getting a reminder of going back to like how the cave started just reinforces the fact that it's such an authentic process. You know, like, it's not... Kenny Beats is, you know, on some level, sure, like, maybe he's acting up a little for the camera, like maybe a little bit, but you don't get the feeling that, like, he's hosting a show as much as you do that, like, it's just a recording process for how he is and how he interacts with artists. Um, and so, you know, it drives home that main point the video made, which is authenticity in the music making process, uh, which when we were talking about authenticity, one of the things it reminded me of that I saw recently is there's a vocalist that I'm a huge fan of, uh, Naomi Wild. She, you are probably most familiar with her. She is the writer and vocalist on Glass House by Machine Gun Kelly. Um, I got introduced to her by, she was the writer and vocalist on Higher Ground by Odessa, which is just a beautiful beautiful song but what this made me think of was i saw a tweet from her the other day where she was frustrated with a either a music executive or you know some label executive or something like that um and she tweeted that she wrote and like wrote and recorded a song and like sent it out and they sent her back a reply and saying oh no this needs to be more like higher ground or more like glass house um so you know you just have that contradicting idea of what you know, what the money makers, what the executives want out of music 
versus the authenticity of the artist's process, you know? And she said, like, I don't want to make higher ground. Like, I've already made higher ground. This is what I'm doing. Um, so showing that there's, you know, that there still is authenticity in that music making process and just getting the kind of fun rapport behind that, that Kenny Beats offers is like what the journalist says on this video, essential to hip hop. You know, it's essential to showing, especially because, you know, hip hop originated as very much like an anti-establishment style of music. So just showing that that kind of, you know, this is not a hit machine this is, you know, we're having fun, we're making music, just throwing beats out there. And the fact that Kenny is the best producer available for that kind of format, that he can take the shit and roll with it, you know, he can customize on the fly, he can do things, is amazing. And then the fact that, like, not alone is he just is he just doing that, but he's talking about it as he does it, and they show bits and pieces of you know, how he messes with the software he has, how he works with the artist to write stuff. And the show talks about that being very like inspirational. Um, as you know, as a personal anecdote, I I can directly attest to that is that I have a good friend of mine from college who is a producer. Um, and he basically, he gets a ton of inspiration from Kenny Beats. Um, he had like a studio set up in his room at the house and people would just come through, you know, drunk, plastered, like coming home from the bars or something like that. Or, you know, they come home after class and they're like, they want to have a drink or something, but people would like walk through his room studio and just be like, yo, like I want to freestyle, like make, make a beat. And he would just, you know, grab a sample, do a little something on the keys, throw some shit together and just, it'd be people in and out like all day just freestyling in his room, like making shit up, throwing shit out. And like that directly like is exactly what the video is talking about, where it says that having a show that represents this authenticity in the process is inspirational to the younger people because they know that it's possible to do it like that and not just sit down and stress yourself out and think that you have to be a hit factory, that there is still fun in the music making process. And that genuinely great products can come out of that. Look at, um, I mean, they make the example in the video, the I Got Depression song by Zach Fox was a, that was a genuine hit. It's a genuine hit. And that is a goofy ass song. You know, if you just threw that single out there, it probably wouldn't perform that well. But the fact that the people who supported that single saw the process behind it and laughed their ass off the whole time in the video, that the second that song hit streaming, like they're all over it. And they're listening to that song, not necessarily because it is the greatest song ever made, but because they remember the process behind it and they remember, you know, laughing and they remember like how great it is to get something like that out of an authentic process. Yeah. And it's authenticity, not just for the music making process, but also for their personalities. Like, like it's, it's somewhere where they can actually be themselves and you see that in every episode, each artist comes in with, and it's always goofy at the start, like you said, like Alpha Media says in the video, like it always starts out pretty goofy, but no one's goofy in the same way. Yeah. And you see artists actually have their own personality. And as you say, they're not meant to be just hit machines. They're not meant to be there just to make money. They're there because they love music and because 
about the time this city is hell. You know, it shows. I think the cave just shows the the ability for Kenny Beats to um to well, it just shows that he's found his purpose, which is to to cater to whatever the sound is that the artist wants to explore. Which um, I don't know. It's really cool. Um, and also it, it reminds me again of that little Richard quote that you talked about, Ryan, about, you know, that's what we all want is to find some level of, of our purpose and explore mm. as much as we can. Yeah. That's beautiful. And he's also, he, his, all, another part of his purpose is literally being someone that rappers can make fun of too, which yeah. <laughs> makes the cave that much better. And I he think, um, almost like on some level, like gets gets the rappers into kind of like a cool zone to record like Vince Staples constantly calling Kenny beats a cop. <laughs> that became so such good. a thing. Yeah. It's so good. But there's so many things from that. I don't know like if he'll ever get away from that. Like being called a cop exactly. on Twitter. Every time he posts any kind of tweet, any kind of thread or something <laughs> like that, it's like, nah, you're the police. Yeah. It's so good. There's such an essential part of that cave episode though. Yeah. Yeah. And well and, and even like stuff like that, like while it's like while it's a joke and coming at him and stuff like you know, it that that thing on a selfish level ha- has helped him progress as an artist. You know, it is like the cave has helped his career for as much good as what it is doing, you know, for the culture as a whole and as much entertainment as it is providing for so many people, it has also like majorly helped progress Kenny Beats. To the point that, like, not you see Kenny Beats brought up in conversations with, like, Mad Lib and The Alchemist and producers like that. Um, and, I mean, if this show is any indication, it's only up from here for Kenny Beats. And I'm def- – like, I, I definitely believe that. Like, I'm big on Kenny Beats. I think all the stuff he's been putting out is great. His uh, – the album he did with O3 Greedo is one of my favorite projects in recent memory. I think that that project was incredible. I still think my favorite Kenny Beats is seven 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 man. I still go back to that. It's just such that's a the one with key. Yeah, it just doesn't sound. Sa- dude, if you haven't listened to seven seven seven, bro, it's like it's just so unbelievable. And it really show it, he just does such a great job of highlighting what makes key so special. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know actually for a while that uh, Kenny Beats produced Freddie by Freddie Gibbs. Oh, and yeah. that's that's like another one of my favorite albums. And I don't think I he. I don't Beats. think he produced every single track on that. I think he produced he produced a couple. Yeah, yeah. I'd say like probably some of the songs on Freddie and that Rico Nasty. Uh, oh. Was that an EP on album? I can't remember. Sheesh! That in, I like that, that initial Nasty. one that made her. Oh, you like yeah. the? You're talking about the initial one or the? Well, he he produced that the full like kind of EP that she did. But he also on that first tape or the first album that kind of blew her up, he produced of my favorite tracks on there too. I think it was the one that blew up. I can't remember. Yeah. But there was anger management. Are you thinking of anger management? That's what it was called. Yeah, anger management. Yeah. That was the one. That Earth Gang on it, right? Oh, I like I like some of the song. There's the tape before that. Let me look it up. Oh, okay. Here. But Kenny beats. I think I listened to the whole tape and then I was like, oh, I love these three songs and then went on title and looked at the credits and he produced all of my favorite songs on that one too. <laughs> that's so sweet. Their, yeah, their, their chemistry is literally unmatched. It's crazy. Yeah, that's what I like it so and much. And she, came, she came up with of the best modern like producer tags. Nasty is that. So good. 
Trust Trust Issues is probably that was like the big song. There was the video that was going around of um, when Kenny beat. I don't remember what festival it was, but Kenny was being her her DJ for her set, and he was wearing a pink wig. Trust Issues <laughs> was the big one. Yeah, um, you mentioned your favorite episode, Mickey. But yeah. Brandon, what was yours? I mean, my like I would default to just saying the Zach Fox episode. Uh, oh, just because yeah, of how that like, hilarious <laughs> that shit is. But I also really liked the Danny Brown episode. Because um, <laughs> just Danny Brown is just such a character. And you yeah, and you always amazing. know that. And like you, you read the things about that. And you like see the interactions and stuff like that. But then even just seeing like as much older as he is. And how his music has kind of yeah. changed with like his latest album. He still is Danny Brown. Like he is very, very Danny Brown in that episode. And it's hilarious. Yeah. And then I also just watched one of the newer episodes, which was with Boldy James and The Alchemist. Um, and that's one of the longer ones in the, one of the newer seasons. And I, lo- I loved seeing, like, just the interactions between Kenny and The Alchemist about, like, as they talk about the production, like, the software they're using, like, little tips and tricks. Like, again, I think it's, like, the authenticity. It's seeing, like, two great producers and the mm-hmm. fact that, like, both of them have things to teach each other like was just so was so cool yeah listen that that danny brown episode is incredible it's so funny danny Danny brown said like he said one of the most i don't know how to explain it but i just love how much he loves hip-hop he said he has a phone just for raps yeah he said he has three phones like a normal phone I forgot what the second one was, but he has a Google Pixel phone, specifically a Google Pixel phone, <laughs> just for raps. Because, and this, this was his reasoning, because sometimes when you're rapping, you need to Google shit to make sure it's right. <laughs> it's so good. That, well, and that note about the phones is another thing, like, with, so, like, with my personal anecdote, is, like, when you get the video of the rapper who's, like, freestyling in the booth, and they are literally, you know, they got a mic in one hand, and they're reading off their phone yeah. in the other hand, like, that's the kind of image that everyone, like, you, that's what you see your friends when your friends are freestyling or something like that, or you got a, you got a friend who's rapping something they wrote on their phone, you know, it's literally, like, your buddy standing up in a room of people, like, reading off his phone as, as they rap, and, like, that, the fact that you were seeing, like, the, some of the most respected artists in hip hop and like deliver some fire, like some of the best verses, like coming right off the dome basically. And you see them in the booth holding their phone in their hand and shit like that. Just it, it's inspirational. It shows people that like you can do that. You can be them from the production aspect to the rapping aspect, which before yeah, I forget, feels- I don't, I want to make sure I shout out my friend uh, <laughs> since I mentioned him. Check out uh, Kodiak Sounds on SoundCloud or just get on Spotify and search uh, Kodiak and Stew, Stew with a dollar sign. Or you can also read, I actually wrote a Why We Like It on their most recent track, look, Slum Bums on Central Sauce. I want to make sure I get that shout out in since I mentioned it. Yeah, get that plug, get that plug. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like you said, it's like, it feels so grassroots watching it i think that's the best word i can describe use to describe it it feels grassroots and that's so relatable 
Yeah. And as you said, inspiring. Yeah. But, but I think um, that represents, my... like I said before, that just represents how Kenny really, he, I mean, he had made it on some EDM shit, but the way that he entered with Key, and I mean, I think he did an early 03 Greedo tape too, with those two, the way that he entered back into hip hop was so from the grassroots perspective. So it's really cool mm-hmm. to see that translate into video. For sure. And real quick, my favorite episode, and I hate to go with the original one, but that JPEG Mafia episode, one, because I adore JPEG Mafia, pretty much everything he does is amazing to me. And the fact that Freestyle became a song on his album, for which he replaced Kenny Beats' beat with a song which he sampled Fire for, and used the same Freestyle as he did for Kenny Beats' beat on his album, which is one of my, I think it was like my second or third favourite album from last year. Like, easily interchangeable with my first, my favourite album. I listen to that album all the time. Which JPEG album is that? Is that All My Heroes Are Cornballs? All My all my Heroes Are Corn, Cornballs, yeah. That's Freestyle Remix. It, it's, it's incredible. And like, the fact that that track kind of has that legacy uh, for being one of the original uh, The Cave episode and two, being that song on his album, which he sampled Fire for. He got sounds of Fire and made it into a beat. The beat is literally Fire. It's, so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. All right, I think I think I think you're right. Yeah, because uh, it's late for me, man. I'm a, in England. That's a good. Right, uh, so the beat is literally Fire. Is a great. The beat is great, literally uh, final line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so shout out to Alpha Media on YouTube. Check out his channel. He has a bunch of great stuff on there. All right, so that's it from us for now. Be sure to subscribe to the mail list on Central Source. Be sure to give us a five-star review, please. And uh, yeah, so Brandon, do you want to plug one last time what you got going on? Uh, yeah, so check out my article um, just released today on... Pink Floyd, Flying Lotus, and Childish Gambino. And give me one sec. I want to shout out. I closed out of the article, but I want to shout out the author of that Rolling Stone article. Uh, so, yeah, I majored in Mouth, How Little Richard Invented the Rockstar by Rob Sheffield. Um, great work on that. Make sure you check out that article. All right. And Mickey, what you got going on? Yeah. So, yeah, let me start out with that then to uh, just shout out the article. Uh, again, If Rappers Were Countries, Hip Hop and Geopolitics by Zachary Schwartz. Killed that man. Um, and then check out for all of my articles. You can check out my website, which is MickeyHellerbach.com. M-I-K-I-H-E-L-L-E-R-B-A-C-H.com. Uh, and then, again, check out the first two pieces I've put out for central sauce one on cedro to god single and one on benjamin ad single and my recent interview with uh rapper stally from ohio on uh, euphoria that oxytocin single was fire that was Dude, really good the music video for that was really good <laughs> all right sick uh for me you can mainly check out my stuff recently in the why we like it series but now that school's finished I'm hoping I can get some proper long, long pieces out for you to read, which I love. So yeah, that is that. Uh, thank you for listening. That's In Search of Souls signing out.
This episode of Essential Source featured Ryan Gore, Brandon Hill, and Mickey Ellerback of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode was edited by me, Charlie Taylor, the Fifth Element Podcast Network. Music for this show is Fuck Shut Up by Barsty. Thanks to Joe Records for the ability to use. This has been a Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Links for Barsity, Chill Records, Central Source, The Fifth Element, and content covering the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. Source.